If you want to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 10, we'll be there in just a moment. We have started a series last week on the book of Judges. It is called Prone to Wander, and as I said, it is not going to be an exhaustive uh, study of the book of Judges. We're just spending four weeks looking at the idea of repentance primarily, the concept of repentance primarily. Last week, we uh, noted the sin cycle that you see throughout the book of Judges. Uh, If you want to throw that up on the screen really quick, um, you see that uh, Israel falls into sin, and it's specifically the sin of idolatry. Remember, as they were taking possession of the land that God promised, Joshua passes away, and unfortunately, they do not complete the task. They were called to drive out all of its inhabitants and thus all of their idolatry. And they fail to complete that task. And they themselves, over and over again, end up falling into the sin of idolatry. Well, then that nation, the Amorites today we're going to look at, ends up oppressing them. Amorites, Philistines, Amalekites, all of these other nations end up oppressing them. And they get to a point where they have to cry out to God once again, God help us, God save us, and God is faithful in it. So they repent and they turn, and God who is merciful, God who is gracious, he raises up a judge, a deliverer, somebody who's going to come and help relieve them from the oppression and defeat the invading nation or the nation that is there. They experience deliverance, and then there's a time of peace And that time of peace, most of the time, just coincided with the life of the judge. And when that judge passes away, all of a sudden they fall right back in to the same cycle of sin. Repentance. Moving from doing what is right in your own eyes, as we talked about last week, to doing what is right in the Lord's eyes. And you see over and over again, The line that is repeated, one of the lines that's repeated through the book of Judges is that Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Repentance is rejecting idols, putting away the idols and wholeheartedly, total life given over to, lived for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. And Israel's failure, like I said, was they didn't finish the job. When they took possession of the land, they didn't eradicate the land push out, push out, push out the inhabitants and their idols. Last week I challenged you to identify the idols in your life. Did you do that this week? Did you identify any? Because in our current context, they're sneakier. It's not some big gold statue in the middle of the square. It's not some gold statue in the middle of your house. The idols are far more sneaky than that. But still... They're there nonetheless. We're called to identify them and thus drive them out. Did you put them away? Did you see the severity and the um, danger of them? Or do we have a very light view of the idols in our lives? Today, I want to continue to look at the nature of repentance. And like I said, we'll be in Judges chapter 10. And I would like to pray before we engage this morning. Um, And As we do that, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, Um, but I'm just going to let it be silent for a moment, and I want you to pray, okay? I don't want this to be a passive thing, because a lot of times when we're like, hey, let's pray together, and then there's a guy up front who's praying, you check out, and you don't make the prayer your own. I want you to pray pray a sincere prayer. What do you want in this service today? What does God need to do in your life through his text in his spirit today? You just pray that prayer.
Jesus, in your mercy, please answer those prayers. In your powerful name, amen. Judges chapter 10, verse 6. It says, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, again, here we go. Start the cycle all over again. And they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So again, the cycle has started, the sin of idolatry, wandering away to other gods. Verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is Gilead. Okay, I'll stop there for a second. Here you see that they wandered away. The anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he sold them to the hand of the Philistines and the Ammonites. Okay, they crushed and oppressed those people for 18 years. Doesn't sound great. Doesn't sound good. It sounds horrible, actually. And a lot of times, okay, so they sin, and then there's the cycle, they're oppressed. And we see that God is upset, but is he just merely upset? It's the, his Anger has been kindled, and is he just selling them over to the Philistines or the Amorites or whoever it might be for the sake of his anger, for the sake of punishment, for the sake of him just being upset? Sometimes, like, I really struggle with this, like being a parent, right? As I parent a kid, I want to parent them because of the Lord Jesus and because of the gospel and for the growth and the benefit of the kid, right? You need that kid to grow, Sometimes I discipline my kids just because I'm frustrated and they need to get out of my face. Anybody? Just being real. It's horrible. God doesn't just deal with us that way. He is a good God. He is a good Father. And yes, His is he is a jealous God, and when we wander away to our idols, yes, it does kindle in him something. But he doesn't just hand us over to punish us like a frustrated, angry, self-centered God. But what he has is some restoration in store for his people. The way that God disciplines and hands over the Israelites to the Amorites to allow them to be oppressed in the cycle of sin was for their restoration. To get them to a point where they would finally repent and turn their back on their idolatry. He didn't just get frustrated and hand them over in punishment there, but it was for the restoration that they would turn back to him. The problem is for us, I think we think this world still has something for us. I think of the hymn writer Fanny Crosby. Right? The world has nothing for me. This world has nothing for me. A lot of times when we're in our sin, we're allowed to be turned over to our worthless idols, to these worthless idols of this world for the sake of restoration so that we see their worthlessness, to, that we would see the worthlessness of sin and the worthiness, the worth itness. that's just a made-up word, the worth itness of Jesus. 
that we would see the surpassing worth of Christ and that we would come home to him. God's discipline is so, so gracious. You can look at him and go, oh my goodness, how could he do that? How would he let his kids be oppressed like that? They had already turned their back. They were doomed for destruction. And in his grace, he allows them to be oppressed so that they would finally turn back to him. What a grace from God. Keep reading. Verse 9, it says, And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay, here they come to that moment of repentance. We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. Here they go. Starting that cycle. Okay, the cycle. Sin, oppression. Now they're repenting. Now listen to what the Lord says. And the Lord said to the, pro- the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and the Amorites? From the Ammonites and the Philistines? The Sidians? Also the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. I think about um, in chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, we talked about it last, last week a little bit. After Joshua and all the elders around Joshua's uh, time, his age, after they passed away, it says that there rose up from among them a generation that did not know God or remember what God did for Israel. I like how God right here is reminding him, reminding them what he did for them how I wrested you from the hand of the, of the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Sidonites, the Amalekites, the Moanites. Verse 13, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will save you no more. Okay, that sounds kind of harsh. Verse 14, go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen and let them save you in the time of your distress. Wait a second. Didn't we talk about this last week, how I was so struck by the pity that God had on the Israelites when they cried out to him, yet over and over again in their, in their wandering, when they cried out, God was faithful in it? I even said it last week. I'm so glad that God doesn't said, you made your bed, you go lie in it. Well, here it almost sounds like he's saying, you made your bed, go lie in it. Verse 14, go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen and let them save you in your time of distress. Verse 15 says, And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. How many of you guys have heard the phrase, Talk is... That was easy. Talk is cheap, right? To say something with your mouth doesn't carry any weight unless it's backed up with a life lived congruent to it, in alignment with it. Um, Just as talk without action is cheap, just as faith without action of good deeds is dead, as it says in James, repentance without action, without a change of direction, is not repentance. To just say, God, we're sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is not repentance if it does not accompany, is not accompanied by action. And many of you know the, the phrase, and, and I'll just, full disclosure, that this is not Bible, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You ever heard that before? 
just like, ah, I want to. Ah, yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, but my heart is really, my heart is deceitful above all things. But I can see what you do. My, my heart is deceitful above all things. But you can see what I do. You can see when it carries through. You can see when true repentance has taken hold in my life. See, here's the thing. A lot of times we think of being sorry or being full of sorrow is repentance. Sorrow alone is not repentance. Sorrow in and of itself is not repentance. It's a really good starting point, but it by itself is not repentance. Read Judges chapter uh, 10, verse 16 again, the last verse that we just read. So they put away all the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord. That sounds like repentance. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. See, their repentance was proved then in their action, in them actually putting away, doing away with, eradicating the foreign gods, the idolatry from among them, and actually serving the Lord. They thus proved that their repentance was true. And the ESV, when you read this, is a little bit confusing. Verse 16 says that the Lord um, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Okay, so that sounds, to me, when I first read that, like, when I become impatient, I'm like, ah, why can't you figure it out? It's like, ah, oh. it sounds like a very negative thing. But if you look actually in the NIV or the KJV, you get a little different glimpse of what it's meant here. Verse 16 in the NIV says, Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. God responds in grace to Israel's misery. Verse 16, they put away strange gods, this is King James Version, from among them and served the Lord, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. He hears their cry, and he sees the proven action of their repentance, and he responds faithfully again. The Lord God is faithful to deliver his people. And as you continue on through the end of chapter 10 and you see chapter 11 unfold, that's where we see Jepheth. He raises up Jepheth. And it's a crazy story. Maybe we'll touch on it again next week. You saw a little bit of the glimpse of it in the video last week. But he raises up the deliverer because God is faithful to his people. Verse 17 says, Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they camped at Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, uh, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilead. And thus, there we have Jepheth. This morning, Judges chapter 10, I want to look at the nature of this repentance. Because a lot of times, again, I think we think of sorrow or being sorry as simply repentance. But it's bigger than that. It's fuller than that. And it doesn't have to be this emotionally charged thing. A lot of times what we wait for is that rock bottom moment before we turn back to our God. When everything's in shambles, when the oppression is over us, when all of that stuff, we wait for that moment. Just like the Israelites, you see it over and over again. They waited for that rock bottom 
moment. But there's something so beautiful about just the truthfulness of God's word illuminating our sin to our minds that if we were to take that step way earlier, man, what God, uh, what, what, what hurt we'd be saved from if we would truly repent out of truth. So let's look at the nature of uh, this repentance this morning. And, and although, uh, although it doesn't, sorrow isn't it. Sorrow is a good starting point oftentimes. The change of direction, a repentance starts with a change of heart, okay? And when I say a change of heart, oftentimes we think of something very emotional, very touchy-feely. You guys probably gave uh, your, your loved ones valentines this last week, didn't you? I love you with all of my heart. It probably felt real gushy. Any of you guys get a big fuzzy teddy bear? Hope not. When we talk about the heart, a lot of times it feels too touchy-feely. All about feelings and emotions. And many times our repentance starts there and it actually then stops there. Emotions and feelings instead of true repentance that is accompanied by action. But when we talk about the heart, I want us to have a, a more scriptural view of heart. Easton's Bible Dictionary. According to the Bible, uh, the heart is... Uh, the center not only of spiritual activity, but of all operations of human life. Okay, so when you hear heart, oftentimes soul is used interchangeably throughout Scripture. We're talking about the center of a person, the core of a person, the soul, the nephesh as it's, as it's called in the Hebrew. I pointed it out this last summer that nephesh, uh, soul, actually one of the definitions means the seat of our appetite. I always think that's so cool. The seat of what we crave, the seat of our desires is found in the heart and the soul, the core of a person. And this repentance starts with the change of this heart, of these desires. God is so faithful to give that change. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. You might be familiar with this passage. Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, about the Israelites, verse 19 says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they might walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts go after the detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord. That in his people, he's going to give them a new heart. This whole idea here of being made new, right? This doctrine of regeneration so vitally important to the Christian life. That we are made new, born again by the Spirit of God, as it says in John chapter 3. As he's meeting with Nicodemus, right? He says, you must be born again, made new. That the flesh gives birth to flesh which ultimately leads to death, but the, birth, the, the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit, which is life. Our appetites, our desires, the core, the heart of us needs to be made new by the Spirit of God himself. Psalm 51, Psalm of David. 
His psalm of repentance created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Right, create, make something new and clean in me. I want to challenge us today in the way that we think about our hearts. I want to challenge us today in the way we think about our hearts and the way we think about Jesus. Don't just relegate your heart to mere feelings and emotions, but let the Holy Spirit get down into the core of you to make you new. We will not turn from our sin unless our hearts and our souls are made new because we in our flesh crave that sin. When we're made new, By the Spirit of God, the seat of our appetite, the seat of our desires is made new as well. Repentance starts with a change of heart. And again, think core, think nature, not emotion. But repentance also comes from a change of mind. You talk about the doctrine of regeneration. Now, how about sanctification? that he would sanctify us, that he would transform us, cleanse us. And oftentimes that has to come by a change of our mind. James chapter 1, verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, within whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. I came across this verse again this week because our, one of our community groups were going through this, this kind of study of gratitude, this devotional of gratitude this week, and this is one of the verses that came up. But verse 18 jumped out to me. It says, Of his own will, excuse me, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Again, in the NIV, the eight, verse 18 says, He chose us... He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, right? Made new, born again by his holy word. Romans 12, 2, very familiar verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of our mind, the renewal of our mind, to have our minds made new that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? Israel did what was right in their own eyes. When we are left to our own flesh, we will do what is right in our own eyes. But when our minds and our hearts are renewed by the word of God and the spirit of God, we will find true repentance. John chapter 17, verses 16 through 19 says, They are not of the world. This is his high priestly prayer for his disciples, for his Uh, church for us. They are not of this world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Repentance comes by a change of heart. The core, the seat of our desires, our heart being transformed, but also our minds need to be renewed. How many of you know uh, that there is a war going on for truth right now? That's one thing that 2020 has taught me. There is a war for truth. I Like, who does a pandemic in an election year? Like, you want to talk about trying to find reliable information and coming up short? Hi, anybody, like, trying to sort through, like, candidates and political positions and all this stuff and 
Social media has just amplified everything. And then you're like trying to find out like what's really happening with this virus? What's really true information? How does, what are we doing here? And you're just like, at the end of the day, you just kind of throw your hands up because everybody's got a version of truth and everybody's got a platform to espouse that truth. That's the beautiful, like, and, and, and then what we do is we sit there with our phones all day and we just consume all of this untruth all day long. All, and and it, we, we've got it set up that it's got these little, these little red circles with a number in it called notifications. And like they just keep notifying us of all of this stuff that we missed and it all is untruth. <laughs> we spend so much time with it. We hold in our hands, hopefully daily, the only, only perfect thing on earth. This thing. This Book is the only true and unmovable, perfect thing that we hold in our hand. Like every relationship we have is broken. Every person you come in contact with is broken. Every political system is broken. Every economics, every education system is broken. Every healthcare system is broken. The only unbroken thing. We need to have our minds transformed by this thing. We are God's holy people needing to be aligned with God's holy word. It's the only perfect thing we have on this earth. Came across the pastor this week. Um, I think he was talking about Judges, actually, Judges chapter 11. Talking about the idea of repentance and and the question that he had, and it, and it struck me. Do you agree with God on your sin? Like, do I agree with God on my sin? Do I see my sin the same way God sees my sin? Because when I look through Scripture, like, God hates sin. Like, God thinks sin is pretty wicked and detestable. Like, Pride, like when I view pride, when I think of pride, I think of it pretty nonchalantly, but it's really the roots of, like, think about Lucifer. <laughs> like, an angel of light cast down, undermining the word. Did God really say not to eat of that tree? Because if you eat, like, do I view my sin the same way God views my sin? Because if I did, I would probably do something about it a little more quickly. I wouldn't wait for that rock-bottom moment where I'm just spent or that rock-bottom moment where I'm fearful that I'm going to be found out about my sin. That's a thing. Like, that's like a real thing. Like, we wait to that moment where we're like, oh, I'm finally going to be outed. I better turn. Or is the truthfulness of the Word of God enough? When he says, I hate that sin and that no unrighteousness, no unholiness can actually stand before me. I want to view my sin the same way God views my sin. Detestable, wicked, awful, cannot stand in the sight of God. Thus, the gospel like when you view your sin that way, you understand the sheer power of the grace of Jesus. 
that when Jesus came to this earth, put on flesh, and lived a sinless life, I, I have to say it over and over again. That's not just the example for you to follow. Because if it's merely the example for you to follow, I said this just a couple of weeks ago, you will be distraught because you can't live up to Jesus. You will never live it perfectly. You will fall sin and not be able to stand before a holy God. That's why Jesus did it for you. That's the whole point of the gospel. His sinless life becomes your righteousness through faith in him. And his righteous life then covers you. His righteousness covers you, and you are able to stand before a holy God. Not only that, he went to the cross, died a brutal death. The blood that was poured out atones for, covers all of your past sin, all of your current sin, and all the sin you're going to commit, and thus you can stand before a holy God. But I want to live in that place of repentance. And I will not live in that place of repentance unless I view my sin the same way that God views it. If I keep making excuses or if I keep making light of it, I will never, ever turn from it. I need his word and his spirit to transform my heart. I need his word and his spirit to transform my mind, to be filled with truth of who God is, what sin is all about, and who I am in him. Because then repentance will be true. I will act on all of that. I will turn from my selfishness. I will not do what is right in my own eyes, but I will do what is right in his eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 says, But that is not the way you learned in Christ! Exclamation point. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As I've said today, repentance is not merely sorrow. It is a great place to start. But it is not merely sorrow. That's why we must be made new in our hearts, in our minds, so that we truly can put away the idols and drive them out like the Israelites were commanded to. So we're being changed and sanctified by his holy word and by his spirit so that our hearts and our mind and our actions all fall in line with him. So my question for you this morning is what moves you to repentance? And what is your view of your sin? Are you waiting for one of those rock-bottom moments, those moments of desperation where you're exhausted and emotional and you're just afraid that you're going to finally be outed or caught? Where you can't keep up appearances anymore? Or is the truthfulness of God's word enough? And his spirit alive in you, illuminating the truthfulness of his word, calling you away from your sin. Are you ready to repent today? I don't want to be passive, glossing over my sin anymore, waiting for that emotional tug, that emotional time. Because often it doesn't feel as heavy and evil and detestable. But because of his word, 
and his spirit alive in us. We have the ability to turn and repent, to fight against our idolatry, our sinfulness, not just when it's emotional and sorrowful, but because it's truthful. We can stand on his word, the power of his spirit alive in us. So as we conclude and as the band comes, this morning I'm just going to ask you to do some business with the Holy Spirit again. Is there sin in your life that you finally need to repent of? What has your view of sin been? Have you been treating it with the severity that God treats it? The Israelites were called to take possession of the land, to get in there and to drive out those idols, and they didn't do it. And it became their stumbling block over and over and over again. If there's idols in your life, I implore you, I plead with you, turn from your idols. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you new, to sanctify you. And spend time in his word daily and let that wash over you, just like it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Right? Husbands, love your wife. Christ loved the church. Christ washes his bride, washes, sanctify her by the washing of the word, cleansing her by the washing of the word. God, cleanse us today in your word. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Give us the power. Give us the drive. Give us the conviction in our souls, God, to turn from our sin to find ourselves in you and you alone, that we would turn from our idolatry, our sinfulness. I thank you, God, that even though we could never, ever stand before you in ourselves, that because of Jesus, because of his righteousness, because of his atonement, we can stand before a holy God Let your gospel drive us today, O oh God. Let the truthfulness of your word drive us today, O oh God. Please help us turn from our idols and our sinfulness and find ourselves in you and you alone. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing another song before we leave like we normally do. And again, I'd ask you to spend some time with the Holy Spirit. There will be some folks from our prayer team in this back corner here if you Need prayer if you'd like prayer for anything. Maybe you have been battling sin. Maybe it's just been something that's been nagging on you for a while and you just need someone to pray with you. We'd be happy to do that today. But let's stand. Let's sing together before we go, and, and Nate will dismiss us in a few minutes.